This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, all I can tell you is I'm one of these people who go to the website U.S. Uh, Debt Clock. I think that, I don't know, it's bookmarked. And I just look at it maybe because I... Um, I'm a I'm a masochist. I I don't know why I look at it. It's a very large page, and it's um, it's kind of overwhelming, and it's really weird what just happened the other day. The dollar to silver and dollar to gold ratios just went to zero, as in zero zero zero. As in the market is saying the dollar is worthless. Not just worth less, but worthless. And that's kind of what I've been thinking is going to happen. Oil, gold, and silver on the world debt clock right now are at zero. <laughs> zero per ounce. Uh, you know, that's, that's crazy. That's just absolutely crazy. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about these things, right? Nobody even understands these things is the problem. And, oh, and they added crypto too. They added crypto to the debt clock website. I didn't know that. And they have like all these things. How many people are, how many millionaires in the U.S.? There's 22 million millionaires, more, 22,664,224 millionaires, and there are 45,782,000 food stamp recipients. There are 42,000 plus people living in poverty. There are 27,000 plus of people who are without insurance. I mean, the list, there's a lot of things on this debt clock and it, it, if you're not if you weren't depressed when you turned on the show you should be depressed now not depressed just really kind of angry you know right now the supreme court is going to have a very challenging case um the whole justice system is going to consider a number of cases that is going to help determine the bounds of free expression on the internet you see, they've had this Communications Decency Act, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act has kept the tech industry basically, um, well, flourishing, coming up with new ideas, but it also protects them from lawsuits and even from regulation, which no other industry has ever been afforded. When Elon Musk announced his offer to buy Twitter for more than $40 billion, he said that his vision for the social media site was to make sure 
it's an inclusive arena for free speech. And since he closed the deal last year, we, we, uh, we've had a chance to see the balance of the internet platform is tough to get to. You can't really protect free expression if you're worried about user safety. And he's lifted a bunch of restrictions on suspended accounts, uh, President Trump for one, but he's also placed new limitations on journalists and other accounts for posting publicly available flight information that he equated to doxing. Like somebody was putting on where his jet was going. Um, and he was concerned about the safety of his kids. It's kind of a hard thing. There's a balance issue that you have to wonder, how, the, how does this all work out in the end? So it's really complicated determining what speech is going to be protected and what's going to be up for grabs. And it's very difficult when it comes to online platforms, which create policies that impact tons of us all over the world and actually tons of legal systems across the world. So it's going to be a, a very important year. The U.S. justice system, including the Supreme Court, are taking on cases that are going to help determine the bounds of free expression on the Internet in ways that could really force the hand of guys like Musk and other platform owners who determine what messages get distributed widely. The boundaries that, that they're uh, considering including is removing terrorist content prevent algorithms from promoting terrorist content, whether social media sites can take down messaging on the basis of viewpoint, and whether the government can impose online safety standards that some of us fear could lead to important resources and messages being stifled to avoid legal liability. It's always more complicated than it looks. Of course, there's a freedom to speak freely, but there's also the freedom to be free from harassment, to be free from discrimination. So whenever the parameters of content moderation get tweaked, people need to think about this. Whose speech gets silenced when that dial gets turned? Whose speech gets silenced because they're too fearful to speak out in the new environment that's created? Section 230 of the CDA was a bedrock of the tech industry for 20 years. And it granted a liability shield to internet platforms that actually protected them from being held responsible for their users' posts while also allowing them to decide what they can uh, take down and what stays up. And while, look, all the industry leaders will tell you it allowed all these platforms to flourish, lawmakers are getting a little tired of uh, people getting to make decisions. So these are the cases that I'm going to be watching carefully. The Supreme Court case is Gonzalez versus Google, with the potential to alter the most popular business models of the internet that currently allow for a pretty free-flowing stream of posts. The case brought by the family of an American who was killed in a 2015 terrorist attack in Paris seeks to determine whether Section 230 can shield Google from liability under the Anti-Terrorism Act for allegedly aiding and abetting ISIS by promoting videos created by the terrorist organization through its recommendation algorithm. If the court significantly increases the liability risk for platforms using algorithms, they're probably going to abandon them or greatly diminish their use, which will change the way content can be found, change the way it can go viral on the internet. In this case, is going to be heard by the Supreme Court 
this month, Fe- February, this next month, the Supreme Court case, which the justices will hear in February, doesn't directly involve Section 230, but its outcome could impact how platforms choose to moderate information. Another case also brought under this act deals with the question of whether Twitter should have taken more aggressive moderating action against terrorist content because it moderates posts on its site. Jess Mears, the Legal Advocacy Counsel at the Tech Back Group Chamber of Progress, said a ruling against Twitter in the case could create an existential question for tech companies by forcing them to rethink whether monitoring for terrorist content at all creates legal knowledge that it exists, which could later be used against them in court. Another set of cases deals with the question of whether services should be required to host more content of certain kinds. Two tech industry groups, NetChoice and the Computer and Communications Industry Association, filed suit against the states of Florida and Texas over their laws seeking to prevent online platforms from discriminating on their services based on viewpoint. The groups argue that the laws effectively violate the business's First Amendment rights by forcing them to host objectionable messages even if they violate the company's own terms of service policies or beliefs. The Supreme Court has yet to decide if or when to hear those cases. But I think they're going to take them up at some point. And then separately, NetChoice also filed suit against California for a new law there that aims to make the Internet safer for kids, but that the industry group says would unconstitutionally restrict speech. The age-appropriate design code requires Internet platforms that are likely to be accessed by children to mitigate risks to those users. How about getting parents to mitigate those risks? I'm just so tired of this, you know, nanny government we have and these, you know, these states like California in particular, and even to some extent Texas and Florida, not allowing individuals um, freedom to make up their own decisions and not insisting that individuals are responsible for their children and what access they have. I'm just saying. And if a a social media platform wants to be biased against conservatives, then we see what the answer is, create platforms for conservatives. Because if you're convinced that there are too many people being excluded, then create a platform and you should be fine. You know, Truth Social has had some moderate success. Twitter has had to change and is not, uh, you know, throwing out every conservative viewpoint or conservative Twitter user. But some liberals left. And that's how the free market works. So we'll see. Uh, These are going to be interesting cases. I I don't know. I was listening last night to uh, Mark Levin. And he was talking about, you know, I talked in my podcast this week about the lack of trust that we now have in all of these health organizations, whether it's the uh, National Institute of Health or the FDA in the case of America or whether it's the World Health Organization. It seems pretty clear to me that, and it was pretty clear to, to him last night, that the first and largest mistrust story is that with the Department of Justice, with the FBI, with the Attorney General's Office, 
And he was suggesting, or he's suggested in the past, I think he was reiterating last night, that you should be able, Congress should be able to oust uh, attorney generals and judges. And, you know, I thought about that a lot this morning. And, you know, most of these judges, most of the Department of Justice wasn't part of the original Constitution. These were actually congressional acts. So maybe, in fact, all these lifetime appointments, whether it's at the federal judiciary or even in a smaller state judiciary or all the way to the top of the Supreme Court, what is the purpose of a lifetime appointment? I know that originally it was so that you wouldn't see any kind of um, threat against justices. Well, you could throw that out the window. I watched people, you know, threaten justices over the last 10 years like nobody's business, whether from Kavanaugh having his house surrounded by activists or Amy Coney Barrett's kids' school being blasted over the internet. I mean, come on. There was some guy hunting for uh, Kavanaugh. So, you know, I think that's no longer relevant. And they won't make decisions based on whether or not they're in danger if they're not already doing that. They should be protected. And I don't understand why we had such a problem getting some, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, uh, police protection, uh, federal law enforcement, secret service protection for Supreme Court justices, particularly after the Roe v. Wade leaking. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody was like, you know, on the war uh, war path and surrounding the houses of Supreme Court justices and the Je Department of Justice did nothing, nothing. You know, some, you know, maybe Arlington sent in their police, but just crazy to me. But meanwhile... They'll show up with guns blazing at Roger Stone's house. They'll show up and arrest a, a pro-life activist at his home in front of his kids. And by the way, he was acquitted yesterday. Yeah. Because praying in front of a, 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 uh, an abortion center is speech. And, you know, the accusation that he had rudely pulled aside some escort turned out to be nonsense. You know, now we have videotape of all this stuff. That's why these five and now six officers have been charged in Memphis. But I do want to talk about that. And I held back from talking about it yesterday. I mean, I, I said some small amount of things about it. But, uh, you know, obviously, obviously our trust in law enforcement is at a negative 50, okay? And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Department of Justice is tone deaf, just like this president is tone deaf, putting out a, a, a picture of him sitting in an $85,000 electric Hummer telling everybody to go out and buy a Hummer and get the tax credit. By the way, an $85,000 Hummer is not going to get a tax credit. It's too expensive. It also, $85,000 also happens to be $14,000 more than the median household income in America. And it's actually selling for nearly double 85,000 because the dealers are marking them up. They don't have a supply of semiconductors to build them. But hey, don't confuse the people with facts, uh, Joe. Just take a picture of yourself sitting in that $85,000 Hummer and tell everyone to run out and get one. Talk about 
who is watching the hen house or, or how much more terrible can the optics be for Joe Biden than that? Anyway, let me take a break. Don't forget to download the app. Then you could listen to all the podcasts. I had somebody requesting an older podcast this morning. Just go to the 850 WFTL website and go to the podcast page and then go to the Joyce page and uh, you can scroll down there and it goes pretty far back. You should be able to find whatever you're looking at. And don't worry, you can get breaking news alerts and exclusive web features by following us on Facebook. Just like us today at 850 WFTL. I'll be right back. Uh, So I do want to talk about the idea that we are now finally addressing the fact that crime has gotten so bad in major cities that they have instituted some really scary policies. And that needs to be addressed. And I think that if nothing else, the Tyre Nichols story is going to make America address that issue. And it's it's multifaceted. Because I, I read an article by uh, Jason Whitlock where he talked about, you know, the real problem when you see that video, he had pretty much the same response I did to that video. It looked like a, you know, like a gang beating up some guy. And we don't expect to see, you know, a, a number of police officers behaving like a gang. We just don't. But then we begin to uh, hear more details, right? And we find out that there are units that have been set up in a lot of New York's, uh, not New York, but a lot of major cities. I don't know if there's one in New York, to be honest. I would imagine that there might be. But I'm looking at these news stories now, and people don't even know what this is. The Memphis Police Department just disbanded its Scorpion unit the Specialized Police Unit. The acronym stands for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. That's a lot of words, but that's a big concept, okay? Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Now, you know, disbanding that one unit doesn't tell me what's going to happen to the rest of the units. I don't know if there are other units. But deactivating that one after the brutal death is one thing. But I bet that other cities that have been riddled with crime, like Memphis, have similar uh, teams who patrol high-crime hotspots throughout the cities because that's what this was all about. They launched the Scorpion officers who were intent, whose intentions were to focus on auto thefts, gang-related crimes, and drug-related crimes. And then they send them into the community, which is besieged by this criminality. And, you know, people are afraid to go to the grocery store. People are afraid to sit in front of a window in their own home because they might get shot. And and there's, you know, shootings frequent. 
frequently occurring on the streets and on the roadways. And so the police or they pick these locations based on the number of 911 calls, all right? It's two months uh, after the deployment of the Scorpions unit that the Memphis mayor, Jim Strickland, said, this is great. They arrested 566 people. 390 of them were felony arrests. They seized $103,000 in cash. They seized 270 vehicles. They seized 253 weapons between October of 2021 and January 23rd of 2022. Now, by any measure, that's a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty good uh, track record. But the unit has been under a lot of criticism because of excessive force. Ben Crump, the attorney who's representing Nichols' family, said that he had heard of several alleged instances of residents being pushed to the ground, cursed at, and suffering other physical injuries at the hand of officers in the unit. One of the alleged victims was 66 years old. He said he was confronted by the unit and he was brutalized and he had pictures of his injuries. And so it kind of leads you to believe that maybe something tragic like this was inevitable. You have a man literally laying down in distress, dying, and people are just talking like this is business as usual. If he had not died, how many more times would they have done this? And how many times have they done it before? I mean, when Crump asked that, usually I, I just throw out his comments and don't think about them very much. I really had to think about that. Whenever you empower, empower anybody with sort of unlimited power, what do they say? Power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. How would you not have this, you know, how would you not have this go terribly wrong? Patrick Yowies, the president of the National Fraternal Order of Police, which is one of the largest police unions in the country, issued a statement Friday evening saying that Nichols' death was a criminal assault and saying the actions of, his, of the officers accused in his death does not constitute legitimate police work or a traffic stop gone wrong. The men arrested and charged for this crime have rights, the presumption of innocence, and the due process protections of anyone accused of a crime. But the bottom line here is that Tyre Nichols, his family, and our entire country needs to see justice done swiftly and surely. So now you have the Scorpion unit disbanded and what will be the cost? Because you see what happened was a good idea got corrupted and you really can't bring it back to the center with any sense of morality and dignity or trust in the community. The community will never ever trust the Scorpion unit again. So now um, the department, of course, we're going to have more training and more changes to the policies and operations, especially of these specialized units. And no matter how horrified you are with that video, when these kinds of incidents take place, and now they're all videotaped, okay, you lose the trust of the community that you're policing. And that deactivating that unit was simply an attempt to um, to reestablish some kind of trust. 
But we are living in a society right now, and this is what Jason Whitlock had talked about in his editorial, and which just really struck struck me as profound and 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 deep. My husband agreed. I made him read it. What you see, whether you see it on the part of the gangs that are, you know, just running rampant in Chicago and in L.A. and in all these other major cities where crime is crazy, that kind of behavior is a direct result of families that are not being led by men. Men don't know how to behave if they don't have a father to teach them. I love, I'm a single mother. I was a single mom. So I totally appreciate and love single mothers. We do the best we can. But what we can't do is be fathers. We can't teach young boys how to be men. And this is the result, what you see. Not just the criminals' behaviors, but now the police's behavior. I'm not going to you know, uh, uh, guess at how many of those police officers were raised in a single-family house by a mother, but I'm sure some, some, some of them were. It's just too rampant in society, black or white. Don't see it as much in the Asian community, but everywhere else including the, uh, the, the African-American, Hispanic, um, white, single families led by mothers is almost a, a play, is almost a plague on us because what you end up seeing, which Jason said so beautifully in his article, is you see boys who never learned how to be men and now they're not just impacting us with their crimes, they're impacting with their with their power craze in some of these units in these police departments in major cities around the country. That should scare you a lot. I always defend the thin blue line. Uh, nobody on earth has more respect for police officers and law enforcement than me or Mark Levin. I mean, we make a point of you know honoring them all the time. But when I looked at that videotape. It did, you know, I was able to blank out the fact that those men were wearing uniforms. All I saw was the same kind of garbage that I see day in, day out of, of young gangs attacking people. One person attacked by five. It goes on all the time in the subways of New York. The uh, meteorologist from five attacked by a group of teenage boys. An old lady in the Bronx attacked by a group of Teenage boys here in Florida, in Lauderhill, uh, a, 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 a doofy-looking kid attacked by a, a, a gang of teenage boys. We got a problem with teenage boys in this country. It's bigger than our crime problem. And, and I don't know how you fix it unless you have fathers in the home to teach them how to be men. But we're not allowed to talk about that, right? Can't talk about that. You know, meanwhile... You know, it's happening everywhere. You had 10 people uh, just yesterday here in Florida. 10 people wounded, according to the Lakeland Police Department. Two victims critically injured. Eight faced non-life-threatening injuries. One's in surgery and others in uh, shooting at a location near Iowa Avenue North and Plum Street. All the victims were adult men between 20 and 35 years of age. We have young men killing each other everywhere. What are we going to do? I don't know. 
I don't know how we stop this. Um, but we better do it. We better stop it. All right, let me take a quick break. And when we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit about a, you know, a move that George Santos just made and what it means. I'll be right back. So uh, George Santos of New York will not serve on the two House committees to which he was recently assigned, okay, um, until investigations into his conduct have concluded, according to his office. The congressman is reserving his seats on his assigned committees until he has been properly cleared of both campaign and personal financial investigations, said his spokeswoman, Nasa Woomer. Who wants that job, right, to be George Santos' spokesperson? Santos informed Republican lawmakers during a closed-door conference meeting in D.C. earlier today that he's not accepting the committee assignments until things get cleared up. And apparently this, according to a longtime GOP lawmaker who was in the room, this person declined to be named to discuss private conversations. Santos' decision to recuse himself from the two panels marks one of the first tangible repercussions he has faced since admitting he fabricated key details about his biography. But he maintains he's not about to step down. No, I'm not considering resigning, he told a reporter this morning as he rushed back to his office. House Republican Conference Chair Representative Elise Stefanik of New York said after the meeting that Santos has voluntarily removed himself from committees as he goes through the process, but ultimately voters decide. House Speaker McCarthy and Steve Scalise, the majority leader, did not make any comments. He was appointed earlier this month to post on the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee and the Small Business Committee. The steering committee, the GOP steering committee, made those assignments over howls of bipartisan criticism against Santos and calls for his resignation. The 34-year-old freshman lawmaker has faced intensifying scrutiny since shortly after he won, after a bombshell New York Times investigation called into question many of his claims about his personal and professional life, as well as the sources of his campaign funds. Days before he was sworn in, he admitted lying on the campaign trail about his job experience and his college career. He apologized for embellishing his resume, although he denied all other wrongdoing. But he's now reportedly under investigation at the local, state, federal, and international levels. And he has most, mostly avoided answering the throngs of reporters barraging him with questions about his many unsubstantiated claims. He has repeatedly vowed to serve out his full two-year term in office arguing the voters of the Long Island area district should have the final say on whether he stays or goes. By the way, 78% of the voters in his district want him out. <laughs> they don't want him around. 78% of registered voters in New York's third congressional district, including 71% of Republican respondents, say Santos should resign. Notably, 71% of the respondents said it was wrong for McCarthy to seat Santos on multiple committees. Polster surveyed 653 voters from Santos's district. And, I mean, this is a guy who, he's just got so much baggage that there's no way he could be, uh, you know, relevant in, in Congress right now. So his constituents will not be served. He needs to go. But I said that right after 
the uh, you know the fact that he was a drag queen for three years emerged. Not that I have anything against drag queens. I just think that if you're a drag queen and you're going to serve in Congress, we should know when you know when you're running that you're a drag queen and not find out afterwards with you know. And then you lie about it and say, oh, I only did it once. And we find out, you know, you did it for three years. But, hey, don't confuse the public with information. Uh, former, Donald, former President Donald Trump has uh, filed a lawsuit, or at least this is what they're reporting, against Bob Woodward for leaking interview tapes without permission. Trump's attorney sued Woodward and Simon & Schuster for allegedly exploiting Trump by producing an audiobook of his discussions with Woodward. So the former president is suing a journalist claiming he never agreed to the tapes being published. Now, if Bob Woodward did not get the signature of President Donald Trump and then, uh, you know, put him out there as an audio recording, I think Woodward has got some problems. I really do. And I don't care how many awards he's won for his investigative reporting and how many nonfiction books he's written. I would say uh, this may uh, may not be as good as you think. I don't know about the rest of you, but I saw a little segment last night. I think it was on uh, Tucker Carlson. It's the only show I watch, so it must have been on there, that and Mark Levin. But I saw this thing about um, a major egg farm that like burned and I'm trying to figure out like how many of these incidents actually took place because Tucker put put up a, a number of of uh, food supply whether it was you know the egg farm yesterday or whether it was meat processing plants uh, last month or whether it was you know some other kind of catastrophe that literally impacts our food supply and then there was some guy on, he was pretty incoherent. I think he looked like he had just smoked, uh, you know, a bong before he went on the Tucker Carlson show holding his chicken. But uh, he and others were talking, and there's been a lot on, uh, on some of the websites that I actually have been looking at recently because my friend is trying to start a fiber mill. And so I've been looking for other organizations that work with animals and funding that's available for them. Never mind, it's a complicated roundabout story. But a, a lot of people, including my friend who has a lot of hens, a lot of laying hens on her farm. She also rescues hens and bunnies and uh, llamas and uh, sheep and all these other animals. But she has, I would say, probably about 40 or more regular laying hens, and then she's now got these little, uh, you know, fancy, dancy, uh, fluffy chickens that, that aren't old enough to lay yet. But uh, she has noticed, and many people are complaining, that they're not getting as many eggs as they used to. And so the big thing online is now, like, be careful what you're feeding your chickens. Now, my friend doesn't really give them feed. She, they give them scraps. Um and I suppose they do supplement it with some feed, but uh, it, it apparently, you know, what Tucker Carlson was trying to get to last night was our food supply has been impacted pretty profoundly. And he showed a, a tape of uh, Joe Biden saying at the World Economic Forum that, you know, that we should expect, and this was not this year, but the year before, that we should expect disruptions in the food supply. 
How was he a prophet? I'm just trying to figure that out because we don't really have these experiences. We don't see plants and and farms up in flames. You know, all we talked about for the last couple of weeks, not just, uh, you know, me, but uh, all across, including on the network televisions, even the, the stupid ones, they've been talking about the shortage of eggs and the fact that you're paying like $6 a dozen. If you can find them at $6, some places as high as $8, $9, $10 a dozen eggs. I mean, this is astronomical. I've never lived at a time when eggs were that expensive. And so to have one of the biggest egg farms in the country go up in flames... So so now what? Are eggs going to be $15 a dozen? How's that going to impact families? How's that going to impact bakeries? How's that going to impact any number of, uh, you know, Chinese restaurants? I went to the Chinese restaurant last week and they couldn't, uh, they, they weren't making egg foo young. I mean, that's not a big problem for most of you, but my husband really likes the house egg foo young and they're not making it anymore. They can't afford to make it because they'd have to sell it for too much. And Egg Foo Young was always one of the lower priced menu items because eggs were lower priced. So, you know, I'm looking at all of this and I'm listening to, you know, the Democrats and, and Biden himself tell me, this is a great time. You know, things are going, turning around and everything is okay. And people can't buy eggs. Never mind an $85,000 Hummer electric vehicle. People are having to decide whether they're going to get a haircut or get eggs or, or, or pay their mortgage or buy a car. The auto industry posted its worst sales year in more than a decade, which is a pretty stark turnaround from the second half of 2020 when we got out of the pandemic down there. <coughs> okay, that's, um, that's my throat telling me it's time for a break. How about that? Don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino at 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro, 6 o'clock, WPTV News. I'll be right back. So apparently, you know, inflation, which is at a 25-year high, doesn't bother rich people. It doesn't bother the president of the United States too much. But it's really bothering families. It's really bothering adults who have to move back in with a family or get a roommate because they can't afford to pay their rent and food and bills and and they've had to make big changes in their living. And apparently these people who are struggling to pay for day-to-day expenses like gas and groceries and housing costs and their utility bills really don't concern this administration. Personal consumption expenditures excluding food and energy increased 4.4% from a year ago. On a monthly basis, that's 0.3%. Consumer spending was even less than already modest estimates, indicating that the economy slowed at the end of 2022 and contributing to expectations for a 2023 recession. Well, ain't that special. I can't get eggs, and and all we can talk about is, uh, you know, whether Bill Gates spent too much time with Jeffrey Epstein. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. I know that... Uh, that all of these shows that are on every day struggle to come up with content that's relevant. Uh, you know, I, I understand that. I I have to struggle just like everybody else. But, you know, I, I really just don't see what the heck um, 
the interest would be in some of the stories that I, I've seen covered in the last couple of days, they are absolutely irrelevant to what's going on around us. And yet, that's all there is. You know, that's all they want to talk about. And I, I, you know, forgive me for trying to stay focused on the stories like inflation that really matter. Because I know it's not, it's not easy to listen to. And I know it's not easy to do the research. But I have a responsibility. You know, I have to dare to report on stories that some of these really big guys are afraid to. They won't do it. They don't want to lose, you know, any part of their ownership, you know, their, their uh, sponsorship, rather. But I've never been in that position. I've always had wonderful sponsors who understand that I tell the truth and I tell it every day. And sometimes it's very uncomfortable. And sometimes it requires me trying to explain things that are very, very difficult to explain. Inflation and recessions being some of those things. But I'm not. I'm just not going to sit around and talk about, you know, the the nonsense that I see going on in, in so many uh, television programs and here on so many radio programs these days. Very disappointing, you know. And 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 they're sort of being dictated. They can only talk about things that uh, they all agree on. It's almost like it's some kind of big cabal. I got a couple of emails in the last 24 hours from people telling me like, I can't believe this is happening. Look at this and look at this and look at this, you know. And, uh, and, and nobody wants to tell the truth. That's why I was so impressed with Jason Whitlock talking about the, the issue. Uh, there's another article my friend had just sent me from the, the Tribune uh, written about how uh, one of the pastors in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's a pastor of a church that has branches in America and other countries around the world, including Nassau. And he is a, a Pastor Jennings. He's known for hard-hitting sermons around the world, which you can watch on YouTube. Um, and he said, I agree fully that the black man has been stereotyped by racist bigots for many years, but that doesn't justify us in giving them a reason to stereotype us. That's why I tell our black men, pull your pants up, man. Why would you want to advertise your behind? What's the reason? I tell my brothers and sisters, don't be lazy. Don't be afraid to work. Stop thinking that the only way out of the ghettos or of America is to be a rapper or to play ball. Why would you just look at that and do anything else? Parents should encourage their children and tell them that they can be a doctor or a nurse or the president or a governor or a mayor. If parents are limited in their vision, then the children will be limited on how to approach what they want to accomplish in life. Then, of course, he said, the scriptures teach us that if there's no vision, the people perish. That's not just in church, but that's in life. And, that, you know, listen, it, he asked the question a while ago about how if black lives really matter, why are blacks killing each other? Why are black men abusing black women? Why are black men selling drugs to other black men? You gotta have, uh, you know, you gotta have leaders like this and, and, and writers like Whitlock and people not afraid to ask these questions. Because otherwise we can stay in the same condition. You know, if every time I say something, you say, oh, that's racist. 
and you think I'm going to stop saying it, or you tell that to you know black conservatives, and you think they're going to stop saying it, hopefully they won't. You know this whole, uh, you know I've been saying forever. I can't fix what's wrong in families other than my own. Fa- I can't even fix what's wrong in my family. But there's something that we could be pretty. Um, we we can all agree on. And that is when you look at a tape like we saw in Memphis or you look at these gangs attacking people on the subways in New York or you look at these gangs wreaking havoc on highways and freeways in in Illinois and in and in California you have to say to yourself we got to get this together. We got to stop uh you know we got to stop criticizing people who want to talk about these things. Demonstrations are not going to make a, gr- a difference with the growing racial tension. And you got to be willing to say whatever you're going to say and take the beating that comes with it. And demonstrations and murders are not going to get us to a place where we all live in harmony. You can tell I can tell you that right now. And neither is electing people only because they're black or electing people only because they're women or electing people. That, that's not the answer. The answer is families. It's always been the answer. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my, uh, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. Don't be afraid. It's time to stand up. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.